you just, if you don't have the app on your phone to get a message Bible, just have a listen. It's um, written in more of a contemporary or now way, so just have a listen. It's all of um, Psalm 31. I run to you, God. I run for dear life. Don't let me down. Take me seriously this time. Get down on my level and listen. And please, no procrastination. Your granite cave, a hiding place. Your high cliff, airy, a place of safety. You're my cave to hide in, my cliff to climb. Be my safe leader. Be my true mountain guide. Free me from hidden traps. I want to hide in you. I've put my life in your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. I hate all this silly religion, but you, God, I trust. I'm leaping and singing in the circle of your love. You saw my pain. You disarmed my tormentors. You didn't leave me in their clutches, but gave me room to breathe. Be kind to me, God. I am, I'm in deep, deep trouble again. I've cried my eyes out. I feel hollow inside. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones to powder. To my enemies, I'm a monster. I'm ridiculed by the neighbours. My friends are horrified. They cross the street to avoid me. They want to blot me from memory, forget me like a corpse in the grave, discard me like a broken dish in the trash. The street talk gossip has me criminally insane. Behind locked doors, they plot how to ruin me for good. Desperate, I throw myself on you. You are my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand, safe from the hands out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. Save me because you love me. Don't embarrass me by not showing up. I've given you plenty of notice. Embarrass the wicked, stand them up, leave them stupidly shaking their heads as they drift down to hell. Gag those loud-mouthed liars who heckle me, your follower, with jeers and catcalls. What a stack of blessing you have piled up for those who worship you, ready and waiting for all who run to you to escape an unkind world. You hide them safely away from the opposition. As you slam the door on those oily, mocking faces, you silence the poisonous gossip. Blessed God! His love is the wonder of the world. Trapped by a siege, I panicked. Out of sight, out of mind, I said. But you heard me say it. You heard and listened. Love God, all you saints. God takes care of all who stay close to him, but he pays back in full those arrogant enough to go it alone. Be brave, be strong, don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. Now, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 31. And before we start, let's just have a word of prayer, shall we? A loving Father, as we come to you this morning, And we look at your word, we know it's living and it reaches into our hearts. And this psalm, Lord, you placed on my heart, but I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing in your sight this morning, our God and our Redeemer. Speak to us, Lord. Speak through your Holy Spirit and reach those who really need you today. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wondered how to start on this, 
And I was looking at Psalm 31, and be honest, I want you to be honest, how did you respond when you heard that we were looking at a psalm? Uh, did you groan? Did you think this could be very boring? Um, do you find reading psalms a bit tedious? Well, if you're saying yes, um, I could agree with you sometimes. Apart from a few of them that we know well, like Psalm 23, they can be hard to follow. That's why we read from the modern version, so that we can follow more easily the gist of the psalm. And I think you probably did. That was good. Thank you, uh, Heather, for reading it so nicely. Um, it's a bit different to when you're reading it from the more formal translations, but it does give you the idea of what was in uh, the mind of David when he was writing it. The way they're written, they were designed, these um, songs were, they were songs meant to be sung to music in Hebrew worship, and they're known as part of the poetic section of the Old Testament. But to us, of course, it's prose, and there's translation at that. So it loses something, doesn't it? And uh, it's a bit hard sometimes as we read the Psalms in this way. I hated it when they changed from using the King James Version, and a lot of translations even changed the way we'd learned them when we were young. Do you, some of you older ones remember that? And you think, oh, I don't like this, you know, when it went to the NIV from the King James Version, and it didn't even sound the same, you know? And uh, you were really put off. But Putting aside this barrier, we need to consider what the Psalms are about. These are actually the journals of godly men. Some of us keep have been learning when we were young to keep a journal and put down our innermost thoughts. And that's exactly what the Psalms are. I don't think David wrote this, his Psalms in one session, but he wrote what was on his heart over a period of time trying to express himself, not in front of other people, but before God. He opened up his heart, and that's why you hear him pleading to God in these psalms. And it's unlikely that he would have been aware that the Holy Spirit was inspiring what he wrote, but he was. Now, when we read this psalm, it seems all about King David in trouble again. Um, He's sure everybody is out to get him, and in true life they probably were. He had a pretty rough life, didn't he? But the whole point of his writing this psalm is to show that no matter what he came up against, he had confidence in the only one who could really be counted on to get him out of trouble. And that's what we're looking at today as we look at this psalm. The truth is, we too are living in a world that's not only getting more wicked by the day, but it's also becoming increasingly and unambiguously hostile to Christians. We can't be sure whether or not the freedom of religion we've always enjoyed may be coming to an end. We see Chinese communism becoming more severe and doing its best to stamp out Christianity, and many countries have made it a crime to even own a Bible. Did you know you can get arrested in some countries if you've got a Bible in your baggage? That's what the world is like today. And of course, this is nothing new, and it could actually be the best thing that can happen to us if we want a revival. 
nothing like pressure on the church to make it grow. And uh, that would be probably for our good. But, you know, it's, it's sad because we are seeing, having all our moral standards undermined by our governments. Abortion has state approval. Drugs are rife everywhere. And violent crime seems to go unpunished. A lot of older people refuse to watch the news. I know I've got a sister like that. She's turned 93 today. And uh, I say to her, what, did you see the news? No, I don't listen to the news. It's always bad, so I don't listen to it, she says. But burying our heads in the sand will not make anything go away, will it? So this is the world of 2019. So we need to know how to live in it as believers in Christ. Let's get some advice from King David, whom God called a man after my own heart. Now, we're not going to look at every single part of this psalm, but I've seen some things in it that can be of help to us to show us the way. And the first thing I want us to notice is that some of the problems are of our own making. Well, first of all, we should never forget as Christians, we are not without sin because that is part of our fallen nature. We're forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, because Christ died for us, and for that very reason. But we are not guiltless. We are guilty, but remember, we are acquitted by God. Our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's we're told that in Psalm 103.12. And David openly admits to being guilty of sin in verse 10. Now, if you look in your Bibles, verse 10 of, of Psalm 31, he says, My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. And if you look down in the base of it, you'll find that there is a, uh, another word for affliction that's been used called uh, guilt in the NIV. Now, the King James Version and many other translations use the word iniquity. But this should read, my strength fails because of my guilt. David is aware that though he believes in God, though he trusts in him, and though he's seen him doing so much, that David himself is not guilt-free. He feels that he can say openly to God that I am a sinner. And that's what we have to realize, is we are not without sin. It's our very nature. We can't help it. We do these things because that's how our lives are. We tend to Uh, think that all Christians should be completely sinless. But I'm afraid, well, I fall down every day somewhere. Do you? I think so. Most of us would admit to it. David was not afraid to say so before God. And David, David constantly calls down the wrath of God on his enemies. But, you see, he realizes that it is only by the grace of God that he himself stands. The big difference is that We are able not to sin when we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we obey his commands because of the indwelling spirit living within us. As soon as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept that offer of salvation. The moment you believed in God, 
The moment you asked Jesus into your heart, that was the time when God actually put his Holy Spirit in you. And that does change us. You may not notice it. I remember the day that I accepted Christ, that uh, I thought something amazing was going to happen. And, but amazingly afterwards, nothing seemed to happen. I was just the same old David that I'd always been. It came over time that I began to realize that something in me was different. And uh, I think that's what would be the experience of most of us. No one lives in him and keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him, says John in 1 John 3, 6. This is the difference. How do you know when a Christian is a Christian or not? Not by an individual, you know, an odd sin or some sin that they're caught up in. That's not how you judge people. It's whether a person goes on sinning as they did before. I've seen people who uh, have gone on and they've said, I'm a Christian, and they go around and they're telling everybody, and all the time they really haven't changed. We've seen it in the lives of some people, and you can't help but tell. As Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. And uh, the fruit of a Christian is that of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all these other things that we're told. That's how you know whether a Christian is a Christian. And it's very easy to jump up and judge people when they fall into sin once. But just remember that that is not what it is. Just as the high priest had to offer a sin offering for his own uh, sins before making an offering for Israel, so we must also temper our approach to those who are outside of Christ. It's only the grace of God that makes us different to them. There is very, it's a very fine line, but the person who makes the difference to that is the Holy Spirit living in us. Never forget Jesus' words. Imagine how the father felt as his beloved son was being murdered on the cross. We must see sinners as sheep without a shepherd. We should be angry about sin, but we must see God's will is for the salvation of the sinner. That is what God's important part is. If we love Jesus, then we must be obedient to his command to what? To love sinners as he does. That's what stimulates us. If we're going to grow as a church, that's what we've got to be doing. We've got to go out and we've got to love sinners as he does. We've got to not be looking for how to judge other Christians or to judge other people. We've got to go out there thinking that we are going to bring people to know the same Christ that we know. Never forget Jesus' words. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In Luke 15, that's in Luke 15, 7. There is no sin, and this is something I want you to listen to carefully. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Is abortion the, great, the only sin? Sometimes you think in, in the way they speak in America, that is the only sin. Or what about murder? Murder must be the only bad sin. 
What is the worst sin we can perform? Which is the unforgivable sin that we can do? Only blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's what we're told is the only unforgivable sin. So my wife was reading my notes, as she always does, and she said, "That's some, what, what is that? What do you mean by blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And we often say it without thinking about it. What is it? And as I thought about it, it means resolutely refusing to believe or give the glory to God. Good example was the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Having seen Jesus expel a demon, they insisted that he had used the power of Beelzebub. Do you remember that? They said, oh, it's by the power of Beelzebub, you, that's another name for the devil, that you expel the Spirit. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's taking away the glory from God. Another good example was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was constantly hardening his heart to God. Don't let anything get between you and God. Even well-known Christians who suddenly fall into sin. It's Christ, not Christians, who died for you on the cross. Never forget that. When you see somebody in trouble, don't blame them. Remember that may only be the one time they've done it. And we can't bring down judgment because if God brought down judgment every time we sin, I wouldn't be standing here today. And neither would you be sitting there because we would be judged. No, and we don't have to judge people who are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's not my job. Unfortunately, the person who is blaspheming the Spirit isn't even aware that they're doing it. They are so self-righteous. They're so full of themselves. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. It's Christ, not Christians, who died for you. Remember that God forgave David the murderer and the adulterer, restoring him when he repented. That's amazing, isn't it? That's how loving our God is. So what does this mean for us? Well, we need to be more loving to and tolerant of fellow believers who fall into sin. In one place, Paul says... If a person falls into sin, go to them and talk to them. Go and tell them. You might save them. You might bring them back. That's our job, not to judge them, but to try to help them to return. We need to spend more time in prayer. Don't forget that prayer is answered. God is listening, and he does listen. I was listening to a song that came up on my Spotify one day, God loves us from a distance. Yeah, I do know that. Okay, I'm 80. So what stops me listening to pop music? Um, I was listening to God loves us from a distance. And I said to Sim, what absolute piffle. God doesn't listen to us from a distance. He's right up close inside us. He's hearing everything. So we can pray. We can pray and he answers. And we've seen so many answers to prayer in recent days that we're thrilled about it. But God is at work. So do come to the prayer meeting if you can, because it is a time. But we need to spend time in prayer with him, speaking to him, just like Heather mentioned before. When you're going to God and listening to him, you can talk to him at any time, loudly or quietly. But he's listening. And he may not answer straight away, but he's there. Never forget Paul's better way in 1 
Corinthians 13. So what do we need? Judgment or more love? I think more love. That's the first thing we can take into this new year. The second thing we can do is we can trust God to be God. Now that's something that seems hard. Let's read verses 14 to 17 of this passage, if you've got your Bible there. David says, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I've cried out to you. King David found out over and over again that when everything looks impossible and the world around him was falling apart, he had someone he could trust to put things right. Like a small child thinks his dad can always get him out of trouble. You know, you can toss a kid in the, in the air and catch him. Does the child worry about it? No, absolute faith that you're going to catch him. And that's how we need to be. We've got to have that absolute trust. And we've got a far, heavenly father who really is watching over us all the time. As a child trusts his parent, we have much more, a much more caring and able God to turn to in the times of trouble. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? Jesus wants us to have that childlike faith. And when he said in Mark 10, 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He said that in Mark 10, 14. He wasn't just talking about children. It was talking about the kind of faith that he wants adults to have. A childlike faith knowing that he is there. Don't be like that guy in that story of a man hanging over a cliff and he's in the dark and he, and he hears a voice come from up. But don't, don't worry about this, son, my son. Just let go. The path is just an inch, a couple of inches below you and you'll land on your feet. And the man thinks for a minute and he says, is there anyone else up there? And that's, but we are not to be like that. We are to trust to know that what he's saying to us is going. When he tells us to do something, um, you know, Fleur and Peter are going over to New Guinea to find out what God wants of them. And I can tell you what he's going to do. He's going to show them the way. If they're asking him to show them, he will. And we can trust that he's going to do it. And they can trust him. But they've got to have that childlike faith. And with the Holy Spirit living within me to guide, I can know he's in control no matter how much I mess things up. And I do that quite regularly. I can grieve the Spirit. I can quench the Spirit. And when I'm depressed and realize my, my mistake, he's still there to catch me and set me on the right path. Sometimes he actually leads me to a difficult situation and I can be sure he's in control. I got a good example of that last year. Um, well, the year before last now. <laughs> Time's gone. When suddenly I was told that I had esophageal cancer. And it actually, instead of me being frightened by it, because I believed in God and I knew that I could trust him, you know, it actually brought me closer to God than ever before. Things were out of control for me. There was nothing I could do. 
I couldn't say, oh, I don't like this game. I couldn't, I couldn't just pull out. And I knew it was pretty serious. I've got enough medical training to know how bad. But having trusted in him in some pretty dicey situations as a missionary, I decided I was going to trust him, no matter the outcome. And as I trusted, you know what happened? A peace came to me that I can't explain. I was actually looking forward to seeing him face to face. As you can see, I can still have that joy to come. He did get me through. But I wasn't worried about it. Why would I worry? And, you know, some of you folk in this church have got afflictions. You've got things happening in your bodies. And it's a worrying thing more to your relatives. But when you've got Jesus as your peace, can't you ascribe to what I'm saying? I'm sure you can. I see a few nodding heads. Because people who have come to this point can find that God putting you in a situation actually draws you closer. And David, the more he got into trouble, the more he got close to God. And that's why God said he was a man after my, uh, of my, after my own heart. That was the very thinking of it. And I still do have that joy to come when the time comes. David understood the unfailing love of God. He knew the nature of God. God is a God who loves me. He, he's not the type who turns away. He doesn't throw things at me. The God of Islam has 99 names, but not one of them is love. Did you know that? You go through all the names that they've got for Allah. You won't find the name love. But the name of our God, love, is the name of our God. Love is his name. That's something to take with us today. And lastly, we're in a city under siege. That's where I got the name of this point. In verses 21 to 23, we read, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. I find it interesting that when the NIV uses the word city under siege, many other versions translate this as strong city. To many of us, the city under siege describes well how we feel as we see the world going from bad to worse. Isn't that true? You look at the news you look at all these anti-Christian things. You look at all these journalists who are obviously anti-Christian. You listen to the television, especially QR, um, what's it, QA, and uh, you see all these biased people coming in, spouting into your living room, and you think, what a world am I living in? And it seems that the world is going from bad to worse. Um, the world is attacking our core beliefs as Christians, Satan seems to have taken control of the world, right? I guess that would have been the same view in the time of Hitler and the Nazis. I was only a child then, so I don't remember much about it. But I do know that that would have been, everyone thought the world was being taken over by Satan at that time. And in the time of the Romans, do you think it was any better then? History shows, shows us that far from Satan controlling the world, the church has grown and the gospel preached in most of the world. 
and it's still being preached and in the most unlikely places. There are Afghan churches. Do you realize that? There are Pakistani churches, Chinese and Russian evangelical churches, African churches, and even a place that you'd never believe, Tibetan churches. Who would have believed it? Tibet, where people go to do their meditation and, you know, stand in the corner upside down and all that kind of stuff. That's where, they get, where people are going. But there are Christians from among those people, and those people are forming churches. Sometimes they can't do it in their own country, so they go over the border. Somalia. Imagine Somalia, where they won't even allow you to have a Bible there. There's Somali churches over the border in Kenya. It's amazing. When you go into the detail of what God is doing, you suddenly realize Satan is not in control. And as we go into 2019, believe me, believe me, Satan is not winning because the enemy is actually defeated. A city under siege is what it looks like today. But remember, it is only under siege. It's not overrun. That's the key point. We haven't been overrun. The word strong city is right. A city under siege is something that is a strong city. The enemy is actually defeated. We're on the winning side because we have Jesus Christ as our leader. And we know, well, we should know how it will end. We do know how it will end, don't we? Because God is still in charge of his world. Satan's greatest weapon is fear and despair. And as Paul asks so well, what can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Life, death, all these other things he mentions. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing's going to destroy his church. How can they? It's a defeated enemy. All he can do is make lots of noise. I love the words of David in the last verse of this psalm. And as we begin a new year with our times in his hands, remember these words. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Wonderful words to take with us into 2019. So happy new year to you all. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope you've given us in Christ. And we can be like Jesus who quoted from this psalm and was able to say unto you, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, we would go with that prayer in our hearts. We commit our spirit to you in this coming year to lead us and guide us and to make us useful tools in your hand that your name will be glorified throughout this world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.